What's up, everybody? We're back for another episode of Ergo. I'm your man, Damon Williams, and with me is my right-hand man and companion, Mr. Daniel Kissinger, also known as Kiss. Hey, y'all. How you doing? This is Ergo WHPK 88.5, WHPK.org. And we are excited to be back here with you guys today. We have special guests in the studio with us today. Everybody makes some noise in your life, wherever you are. The ethos. Yeah. Hey, hey, what's going on? Y'all glad to be here. But don't yell too loud that uh, people around you start looking around like, what is that guy doing? Why is he in the middle of his car just going ham like he's listening to like some dubstep track in there or something? Nah, they know what it is. Air goes worldwide, <laughs> or at least the South Side, and people listening online. We appreciate y'all at whpk.org and the uh, TuneIn Radio app. Yeah, man. So, uh, Ethos, first off, welcome to the studio. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. And we'll do the, you know, the kind of typical ergo back to the beginning type stuff, you know, take it back to the to the hometown, to the neighborhood, all that stuff. But first off, we figured rather than build to it, let's just start with where y'all were uh, this weekend. Dame, you want to kind of introduce what the two of you have been up to? Yeah, so a lot of you might know um, this Sunday actually was the one year anniversary of the uh, murder of Michael Brown. Uh, so me and my man here hopped in the car and uh, drove down to Ferguson, a four and a half, almost five hour drive down to St. Louis. Uh, and I was able to link up with a lot of my family, Lost Voices, who are kind of like the front line on the ground uh, down in the heart of Ferguson. Uh, we were able to just spend the weekend with them, uh, camp out outside on their campsite. They stayed on West Florida and we were there uh kind of when the 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 shooting and and the tear gas that followed uh happened so it was a a crazy experience being all up and around st louis um in that weekend of resistance and i was glad to be able to uh build with my homie and and take a a fellow comrade down with me did uh did y'all know each other before this weekend Have you done work together around organizing stuff like that oh yeah definitely um i connected with the let us breathe collective which i know damon is a part of along with his sister and um yeah he someone connected us we were both trying to go out there to st louis this weekend it was just a perfect opportunity he linked up and drove down there we're so on the ride down basically you're in the car you're on the interstate wind through your through your respective hairs (laughs) what's going through your mind what are you expecting um yeah, what 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 do you think you're stepping into? I mean, I know this isn't new to both of y'all. You've been down there before. You know people. You're plugged in. Uh, for me, I was expecting like a the family reunion type feel, uh, which it kind of was when when I got out the car, because um, I had been down probably about twenty twenty five times over the last year and really was able to build a deep connection with uh with people. But it was funny if you talk about our ride down. <laughs> I'm actually a goofy, so so we ran out of gas <laughs> and pulled over to the side of the road. And I called my dad, like, "Yo, who should I hit up to? Like, I have a gas can. Who should I hit up to? Like, come get us to get some gas." He was like, "Call Star 99. That's like the state roadside service." Um, and I did that, and they're like, "All right, somebody's coming. They'll be there in like 45 minutes." And then like a state trooper pulled up. So I actually like a police officer, and I, I didn't have my license on me at the time. Oh, so, no. so a police officer like. I told him I just didn't have it, but like I have it, <laughs> and he believed me, and he gave me a ride to the gas station. So we were pretty. Uh, it was a pretty surreal experience because it could have all ended before it started. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, like that one time that you know what they say, like the one bad apple. Yeah. 
that was just like that one good time. Yeah, he was cool. Like we, I was like trying to be his friend and like make small talk with him, so he wouldn't arrest me on the way down to Ferguson. I told him I was going to a family reunion. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, basically, what was it that brought you down, both of y'all, in the first place? Like in not just for this weekend, but in the past. Um, I know Dame. We've talked a little bit about what it was that initially got you on the ground. But ethos for you, like, how did this? Uh, how did this begin as something that you were active in? Yeah, I remember last year, August 9th, and like the following week, just seeing like what was happening in Ferguson and, and St. Louis and the response they were giving to police violence and the response to Mike Brown's murder. And I've, I had been doing uh, like anti-police work, anti-prison work for a while, but never did I see like a cohesive movement and like a the raw anger in the street like I saw in Ferguson. And the movement that started because of it. Um, and I heard one cool statistic, like this is now the longest ongoing movement for black liberation since the Montgomery bus boycott, mm. which which is crazy. And I felt it was my duty to kind of like go down there for this year just to recognize how much they did for us. Yeah, you know, I was talking to my dad, who incidentally is a white guy, if you haven't <laughs> seen me. But he's, you know, he's been around for a little while. He's almost 60 now. And he said like this, basically I was trying to figure out whether this feels big because we're in the midst of it or whether it's as big as we think it is. And I was like, have you seen other moments that felt like this? And he said, the last time that anything felt like this was when King was shot. Mm. And that to me, like, not that I needed him to give validity to it, but it still was like, he's seen a bunch of stuff and has been, you know, a smart dude and plugged into the world. And so for him to say like, the last time that the momentum felt like this was that moment was incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely um, the greatest moment or movement of probably the last two generations. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just exciting uh, or, or almost frustrating to see the, the response and how it is like spread through the world, but also like the critical misunderstanding of like what it really is and who the people really are that started all of this. And I think, Ethan was, was ethos was making a good point of how it really is um, a fire from the street that has started this like global movement, mm-hmm. um, so to speak, and even kind of how the media is still a year later, like miscasting or, or um, misrepresenting what's really going on and trying to make it a news story when it's really like a human rights struggle um, that has kind of never been seen by most people who are living. Mm-hmm. So like, we'll come back to the specifics of what happened down there for y'all, kind of the first 10 accounts, but talking about that fire, uh, those for you before this experience over the last year, had you, you said you'd been doing some of this work. Had you seen kind of glimpses of that fire in other moments? Um, yeah, I think definitely like, this isn't a new issue, like police violence and anti-blackness and white supremacy is like almost an ancient issue at this point. So I definitely, I saw like the, the anger in myself. I saw the anger in my family and my brothers and sisters on the street, on the ground, but just like that courage to take that step and to say, no, actually we're not leaving the streets this time. We're not going back to our houses. We're going to stay out here on these streets and like turn up and turn up for months and not ever stop and not go back and like, that kind of, I've never seen that before, but I definitely, the anger has been there. Was it surprising for you to 
like internally for you to take that step? Like, are you surprised that you were like, no, like let's turn up for months, <laughs> man. After, especially going down to Ferguson, like if it was going to happen anywhere, it was going to happen there. Like the culture was already teed. Yeah. It was already toxic. <laughs> <laughs> and then like to translate that over, like we teed and we also do not like the police and are not going to give up. Like, Man, it couldn't happen nowhere else, I don't believe. It was meant to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what people don't understand. Like, it's cracking in Ferguson and St. Louis, like, on regular days. <laughs> like, <laughs> even when there is not a camera down there, even when it's not a hashtag, like, especially over the last year, like, I've gone down on, on quiet weekends, and there's still always just a, a vibrancy of, like, mass people around the street like the gas station is always popping um west florissant is always vibrant which is where like any of the images you've seen over the last year of any of the demonstrations happen um and and also how it's a culture of like tur that turn up culture is is bred in like deeply concentrated poverty um that is very similar to like the south and west side of chicago i actually just saw a stat yesterday that um chicago one philly two and st louis three are the the highest cities of racially concentrated poverty mm -hmm. um and i don't think it is a coincidence that these are some of the areas where you're seeing um this new type of uprising mm -hmm. what do you mean by that turn up culture well it's like I don't know if people are familiar with the term it's lit <laughs> but it is indeed lit in Ferguson <laughs> and like that's on when you drive into Missouri that's what it says it's like, welcome to Missouri it's lit <laughs> so maybe not all of Missouri but definitely north north St. Louis County not, not the Ozarks it's not lit in the Ozarks <laughs> yeah the mass cornfields and soybean fields are not as lit but yeah I think like black people everywhere I think something I've, I've peeped is like we're in some pretty dire circumstances, but the love and community we create there is always going to be real. Like in Ferguson, uh, like Damon said, we were camping out and there was a campsite there. But that campsite was also just a community hub. Like people were coming through with bringing food. Uh, people were coming from out of town to find out what was happening. People were coming from in town that just had friends and family that hung out there. And it became like a community space. And when the police came, we it was like an automatic like pushback against them. But... Besides that, it was just having a good time, sharing space, taking space, showing love and all of that. Yeah, it was more like a, a in actual Ferguson, it was more just like a block party on a major street, right? Like mm. without a petition. Mm. So there's like young kids who were like the best drummers you've ever seen in your life with like traveling drums and then people just kind of dancing. Or, 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 you know, chanting or celebrating or, you know, saying how they feel about the police very boldly and explicitly and honestly, um, but just taking up space that is not usually given to them. So you, for me, you know, what I want to clear up and when you say, like, what does it mean when it, it's lit? Ferguson, there's kind of like two Fergusons. There's like the physical space, which is this like two, three mile radius from like New, West Florissant to New Florissant. Um, where there is deeply concentrated poverty um, and then like isolated wealth and affluence that is black and white. Like it's, it's, a, it's a distinct line. Um, and there it is a, a street fiery resistance, right? Like you'll see kids with no shirt on screaming F the police. And then there's like Ferguson, the idea, the hashtag, which is really all of St. Louis, mm -hmm. which is the much more like traditionally political, um, more in line with like traditional civil disobedience where you'll see people like get arrested on purpose. 
Um, and and they, they go hand in hand because they're both necessary. So like the way I look at it is like the actual street of Ferguson where people don't have Twitter, right? Like people aren't on the internet. You don't really hear their stories. They're like the flame or the fire that started it. And then there are those who are like more socially conscious in the ways that are traditionally accepted right and have the language and have the twitter followers mm -hmm. who are more like the wind um who like blow that fire that is, has made it a, a national issue so we kind of got to experience both worlds like we got to be in the street turning up you know and then we also got to go downtown and like see cornell west like get arrested on purpose and and that combination um is is what ferguson is do you think that they're working well together those two sides are they like it seems to me like there would be, even though they're both necessary and they do work together, there's some tension there, you know, especially, you know, with y'all and other folks coming in and you guys have earned some trust down there, but you're outsiders, right. you know, and when it's a block of people and everyone on the block knows each other and you're not from that block, there's got, I mean, there's some tension there, especially when it's like ideas that aren't from that block too. Uh, for me, I, I, yeah, there, there, there's always like some skepticism, but what's beautiful, most beautiful about Ferguson is if you're not on BS, they're very welcoming and accepting, right? And and they're very, it's very easy to to kind of see the difference. Mm -hmm. But I think what like kind of exemplifies the 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 dichotomy that we're kind of talking about is like on West Florissant, those kids are like interrogating the news people and like making them turn off their cameras while, you know, the people who may, you know, shut down a, 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 a courtroom or something um, have their own cameras or are doing interviews. And I think they both understand why the other is important. Um, but there is obviously some tension um, and there, there, you know, there is friction that comes about because, you know, some people have actual warrants and are trying their best to not get arrested. Right. <laughs> um, and so sometimes they're just ideological clashes. Yeah. Uh, but overall there is a, a overwhelming sense of unity and they also overlap like people from each world also, you know, interact with each other. Yeah. You want to add to that? Um, yeah, I think just one tension I've kind of peeped and one thing I, I'm being more, like critical about is all the money that's been pouring into Ferguson and St. Louis. Absolutely. And like people just really got to be careful about where they're sending their money to. Like just because you see a hashtag on Twitter and you see some nice pictures of people standing with like important people doesn't mean you should give them your money and make sure like if you are donating to an organization, you know directly on the ground where that cash is going to go. For the folks who aren't on the ground, like how, where, where would you recommend one organizationally, but two, like where do they look if they like, if you got a little extra cash in your pocket, uh, I would say hands up United um, and OBS St. Louis are the the two organizations um, that I think are I would most appreciate because like the big conglomerate non profits that like are household names that we know of have definitely taken in like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And it's taken a long time for that to hit the street. So I know Hands Up United has done great tech programs. So I know actual people who camped out who have now learned how to code and like build mm. websites or how to, you know, video edit. So Hands Up United is definitely the, the organization outside of Lost Voices, which is uh, a little slightly less formal. Uh, those are always the two that, that I big up the most. So the two of y'all are on the road, just to backtrack for a minute. You're on the road going down there. You've gotten your gas, you're, you're, you're back going. Um, you know, and as 
ethos as someone who's gotten to travel around this work, you know, whether it's to Switzerland or other places, like, do you still get that escape from traveling to other places or does what you take in just end up feeling like more evidence for what you know? Like, basically, are you able to put the windows down and like feel that freedom of traveling to a different place? That's interesting. We were kind of talking about that on the way back. Um, man, it's it's a lot of big highways in between here in St. Louis with people like the situations, like Damon said, like we're on the south side right now. Like you can see a very similar situation here on the south side and here and, and over there in St. Louis. So I definitely don't feel like an escape leaving because I understand I'm still part of the system wherever I go. And since anti-blackness is even worldwide, like everywhere I go, I kind of embody the same anti-blackness, um, like the same struggles that I fight here at home, I'm fighting wherever I go. And that's how I kind of like keep that keep that going. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting thinking about like the, and we spent a lot of time on this show talking about like the idea of self-care, right? Yeah. And like for some people, like the idea of like getting away is a way of like restoring and mm-hmm. doing all that. But that doesn't seem like that feels like an option. Like you can't, that's that's not like a viable way to recharge is to like yeah. hit the road and go find another place. Yeah, like I don't leave to to escape my struggles. I leave to better um, inform myself in my work and also because I know we have to build solidarity nationwide, worldwide to like build that solidarity for the freedom of my people back at home. Yeah. On that mic drop right there, we're going to um, go to some music ethos here on Ergo, ErgoRadio.com, 88.5 WHPK. What do we got, Dave? Why don't you introduce that joint? I don't really know them like that. Yeah, for sure. So there are some mysterious, uh, excellent uh, rap songs coming out of a group called Goodbye Tomorrow, which is from right here in Chicago. They have not made clear who they are, but I know they've done some work with Rostrum Records, which was Wiz Khalifa and uh, Mac Miller's independent label. They've gotten some shine. They're really good, and their visuals are crazy on point. So obviously we can't get that across here. Um, but definitely go check them out and their whole, like they do this whole thing basically where they like their website looks like it's 64, like 16 bit, like mad old fashioned. Mm -hmm. And it's about like breaking down the complexity and like disconnecting a little bit ideas aside. Let's check out pray to God. One of their singles, their album comes out tomorrow. Here's goodbye tomorrow with pray to God. Digested serotonin, blowing hydro. Pony, pony, my opponents pass out way too fing late, then wake up early in the morning. Morning, morning, now my fans, but on these symphonies, I'm blacking. Cause how could I be sober and deal with all these distractions? That's just how the fk I do it. Get hype and lose control. It's an optical illusion. If you find a nicer flow, I'm going ham. I'm going ham. If you don't like it, you don't understand. Damn, damn, damn. Wait till the day I got some money in my jeans. My whole click up in this club look like we on a team. Or like we on a team. That's smart Cuban money. But I just want that I'm the dictator of Cuban money. I'm about to get it. Mother who said I couldn't. So show me all the money, my That's Cuba gutting, huh? Pray to God, pray to God, pray to God, pray to God, pray to God. 
soul don't lose, that my soul don't lose, that my soul don't lose. I pray to God that my soul don't lose, that my soul don't lose, that my soul don't lose. Just wake, wake up. Get back to make it back up. Back demons in the corners give me strength to make it back up. To where I was whenever in early 2011 when all the critics was loving it. Tried to cop a percentage. Random cities full of bullets. Who gon' fill me? Let me fill them up and puff them. Puff them puff from a Philly. Nice crazy crazy i write some milk daily daily license trippy moves wavy wavy went not went not going for cruella that's my family those my those my men they bout to tour europe and everything that they doing is everything that i should have should have blew up should have made it i keep on hearing i could have and my time is coming up never running out of time i ain't running out of nothing but my mother mother mind when i'm tripping i'm crazy What's up? What's up? We are back. That was Pray to God by what was the name of them again? Go by tomorrow. Definitely check tomorrow. out the visuals and I can't remember the name of the album. It comes out, I think, tomorrow, but it's super, super good what I've heard from it so far. Definitely check them out at Goodbye Tomorrow on Twitter. Where so we're here with Ethos. Uh so Ethos and let's talk a little bit more about Ethan. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like like where where are you from in the city? Um you're born 94, right? Because you're 95. 95. All right. So you're a very, very young cat that's done a lot. Uh, we want to like kind of figure out where you were that, that started that. Take us back to 95. Hey, you ever feel old? <laughs> a little bit. A <laughs> little bit. <laughs> yeah. So 1995, January. Ethan Beats Van Leer was born into the world. Ethan's my government name. You know, the one that was given to me. For the record, you kind of put yourself you kind of gave your government yourself except you put it out there first <laughs> so <laughs> no, that's all me that's you that's all right they can have them where in the city did you grow i grew up on the far north side so i like to refer to it as the north pole uh <laughs> general area uh pretty much north of devon avenue in between kimball and the lake and yeah the north side gets a a pretty good rep most of the time but i think like as I said before, like blackness, anti-blackness is not about space; it's about blackness. So right. the black people, the more melanated people up north, like are f- like have the same struggles as people other places. Yeah, yeah. Like I would, I would like to speak to that because I think there's this like when people talk about Chicago, 
even Chicago's. I know I'm guilty of it myself too. There's like this dichotomy we have of like the South and West Side is where it's horrible, it's this hellhole. But like the North Side is this like protected bubble of like euphoria and like you know it's milk and honey running through the streets. Mm-hmm. So you know is have you experienced any contradictions in kind of that? Are you saying that just because white folks really like milk? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we'll take the honey, take it or leave it. But if you have milk running through the streets, yeah, no, it's pretty good. Um, But yeah, so (laughs) had to ask, you know, but it goes to like what we were talking about last week about like the idea of walls versus the idea of bubbles. And yeah, yeah, we want to speak on like where, yeah, like how do you complicate those ideas of where the bubbles are and where the walls are? Mm. Yeah, so, man, growing up, I think there's always, like, invisible walls. And I think there also is a lot of privilege from being born up north and having family up north. Like, there's a few better schools up north because they know they have to have the better schools where the white folks are. But um, I know, like, just growing up in the neighborhood, my first interactions with the police up north were them telling me, like, man, when we walk too far west, like, y'all shouldn't be in these suburbs. Like, y'all giving a bad look to the suburbs. Y'all need to go back home. Y'all shouldn't be in this part of town. Y'all need to go back to where y'all from. And we're like, what? We're from here. Like, where are we supposed to go? So how far west were you from up there? Because, I mean, that's yeah. part of what's interesting is when you get all the way east, like, toward the lake, and you have Loyola, and East Regis Park is a little different. Like, how far west are you from? Yeah, I'm from, like, uh, around California. Where? So California, you know, it's about, what, 2,800 west. And... um it's interesting because they call they call that area Rogers Park, West Rogers Park, actually the most diverse neighborhood in the Midwest. Yeah. But like, that means that the police abuse and discrimination is that much more targeted on these few few people. And I know on my block where I grew up, like there was six of us. You know, we all the black kids that grew up on the block all gravitated towards each other. And now I'm looking back on that block, like some people had to move away to avoid like court cases. A lot of people are locked up. Some people are dead. So it's like look at how those numbers are dwindling. And also, like you say, Loyola, I don't know if anyone's been to Howard, up by Howard. That's a yeah, black that's neighborhood. A, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like Morris Avenue used to be a pretty black community, but gentrification with right. Loyola and these businesses really pushing people more and more west, more and more out the city. Um, yeah. So, so uh, what, what high school did you go to and what was that experience like? <laughs> yeah, so, after, so I got kicked out of my first grade school, first of all, for some, some bull... Then I went. What's the, sorry, we can't just skip over that. What's uh, the story? Man, Hannah G. Solomon Elementary. Go check it out, man. Those uh, those people over there. They <laughs> <laughs> trying to censor myself a bit, but um, yeah, like yeah, you seem real incensed. Like you, you literally, your vibe did not change at all. I can't imagine you like like it's in, sorry. It's, quick side note: talking about like the like it's lit. Like that's the most low key lit I've ever seen anyone in their life. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's lit. <laughs> anyway, uh, so you went, you got kicked out of that grade school. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They um, it was like uh, altercation with security guard got assaulted by a security guard. Basically said you can leave the school or we could go through an expulsion process. At first grade? No, this was uh, seventh grade. Oh, seventh grade. So I left that school, went to my second school. Bunch of interaction with the police. Um, then I got into high school. I, I was always good at testing out of nowhere. Got into a good high school, Lane Tech, Lane Technical High School up north on Addison and Western. Looking like a castle up there. Yeah. Castle with a football field. <laughs> yeah, and that school, man, you could I only lasted two years in there before they kicked me out. And by the end of it they're following me from classroom to classroom. But actually a crazy story, my freshman connection, which was like freshman orientation for school, um, 
uh, me and my friends that got hit by a car in my neighborhood, and therefore they got our information, you know? They sued us for damages to that car, and then later picked us up at our, our school, so picked me up from Lane Tech, and brought me into a station and illegally interrogated us for hours. Because you ran into a car? <laughs> yeah, just for interrogated us for a bunch of crimes in the community, trying to get us to admit to one. Over three hours, a legal process, you're supposed to have a parent present. We were 14 years old. Yeah, I was about to say, you can't be, like, you said you got kicked out in seventh grade, and you're like, oh, that makes it. That's still so crazy young to get kicked out of a school, mm. like 11, mm. 12 years. I, like, I know it happens, but that's, like, that's a, still a child, you know? Yeah. yeah, and even, like, the interrogation process after that, left one of my friends interrogating to a crime he didn't commit, and he ended up spending a year in a, a juvenile jail for that, wow. a juvenile prison for that, uh, that act, the act none of us committed, but because we were interrogated, he's the one that like, admitted to a crime he did not do. Wow. And they, they say Chicago is the murder capital of the country, which is not true. Um, there's a lot of other countries per capita that have more death, but it is the false confession capital. We wow. got a lot of police coercing confessions out of young folks across the city. So that like traumatizing for real experience, even if you don't like process it as such. Um, from my understanding, that's like informed your work as an organizer and you'll start there because yeah. that, you know, your, your passion or a lot of work has dealt with like juvenile justice. So you want to talk about how that transition of being a, a targeted high schooler mm -hmm. kind of led you into the work that, that you are now becoming known for. Yeah. And what the work that you're doing now is, you know, there's some overlap with other guests, but you know, trying yeah. to build out the community here. Yeah, so uh, 2010, I left Lane Tech. I was out there on, like looking for where, where am I supposed to go? All these institutions have turned me away, uh, kicked me out, criminalized me, oppressed me. Uh, and I found an organization called Circles and Ciphers, which engages in restorative justice, which is like an alternative to the current justice system and offers the tools of restorative justice through a hip-hop lens to young men of color to um, talk about issues like masculinity, uh, violence, drug abuse, gangs, pretty much all the things we face day to day, police repression. And they're based up north. Yeah, Rogers Park, still in the United Church of Rogers Park up there. So it was right in my community, gave me a little stipend, and they really, they gave me books like the autobiography of Malcolm X, shout out that book, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, also a great book, uh, taught me about Asada Shakur and a bunch of the sister revolutionaries. And um, yeah, it really opened me up to the point where I've learned so much, so I, I felt it necessary to start to move. And like my first step into politics in that way was leading these peace circles and actually like offering these skills of young men of how we can do justice and not rely on this current justice system. So talk a little bit more about like how, like the nuts and bolts of how that stuff works. Mm -hmm. So restorative justice, peace circles, which I engage in is like an ancient indigenous practice of healing and accountability. So there were no jails uh, before all these white men came to America. But people have been on this planet for thousands of years. So how did they deal with accountability? And it was a form, an ancient form, where you sit in circle and shared vulnerability and really open up a space where healing can occur. So, for example, there's a fight in the neighborhood. This actually happened. Two young girls got in a fight, and uh, the police uh, came, but we said we could deal with it ourselves. And we did a peace circle with these young girls, a process of peace circles. We got their moms involved, the outgoing community involved, and in the end of it, they did not go to jail and they also like ended their beef. Mm. Yeah. So you talk about that being like a, like an ancient form. It's mad cool. And I think <clears throat> a really good model for how it can work. Also though, in the, like back in the day, they also just like, 
exile people or might kill people. Like it wasn't all mm-hmm. just to complicate that a little bit. Like yeah, yeah. The, it wasn't like it was all like vulnerability and good. Like they they also literally like just murked people who uh, didn't follow the rules or the social rules. So like it works. There's always like the choice, right? Between recognizing someone's humanity and like trying to heal with them mm-hmm. and punishing them. Uh, like that's the duality there. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. Like, yeah. Cause when you say like, especially when you're trying to pitch it to, you know, funders, even like when you say ancient indigenous practice, everyone gets all excited. You know what I mean? And it is, that's a valid thing based on what you're saying, but also like, just to prevent like kind of exotifying that idea, you know? Yeah. But you know I, mean? I, I would say like, it is a practice very much intimately tied with the spirituality of like the, mm-hmm. and um, our practice is borrowed from native people of this country. And we've like met with a lot of native healers mm-hmm. who still and get try to keep this culture alive. Yeah. Cause it was like a huge part of a lot of indigenous cultures and like this, this way of justice and policing and like exiling even, and like, Torturing is a very European model that was like placed upon mm. peoples. And there were models that existed before those models, I believe. Mm. Of course, there's always violence, there's always hurt. But that humanity, like we right now live in a, a system that monopolizes justice and has their own, what they tell us justice is, and then en- enact it on- onto the people without the people's uh, say so or like input into it as- at all. Like, for example, if you commit a crime, it's you versus the state. Right. And this idea of the state, I think why restorative justice is revolutionary is because we're taking an old practice and bringing justice back into the hands of the people instead of relying on a state that has never actually enacted justice for us to do it for us. Right. And even like the pretense of it means like violently extracting someone from their own context in order to enact. Like, even if all of it worked otherwise, mm-hmm. which obviously it doesn't it would still require like taking the power from the hands of the people around the context of that situation. I'm getting yeah. all theoretical. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you really write it with that one there. Yeah. Uh, I, so I think what, what a lot of people appreciate most about you is the way you're able to articulate uh, a very appropriately harsh critique of our justice system. And I think um, you and a lot of young people in the city have done a lot of like great revolutionary work around that and it was interesting you you mentioned the the autobiography of malcolm x because I, I what i how i interpret his life is that he died trying to take the issue of anti-blackness in america to a global stage right and trying to make america accountable to the world for the contradictions within its borders and what i'm most proud of my comrades is y'all basically like fulfilled that legacy as a part of we charge genocide so do you want <clears throat> to talk about how about that experience and about going to the UN and, and, and what has kind of come of that um, and, and what that was and how that experience was? Yeah, so I used to do a lot of work with the state on state appointed boards and things like that, working with like uh, judges and courts and police stations. But um, a real pivotal moment in my life was when last year, uh, May of last year, my homie Dominique Franklin, who we lovingly called Damo, was murdered by the Chicago Police Department, tasered twice illegally in the head, eventually put in a coma where he passed a week later. And at that moment, I really had to take the step to question the legitimacy of the state and if I could truly call myself a revolutionary while working in the parameters of the state. And at the same moment, 
Uh, my comrade and friend and mentor, Mariam Kaba, came up with the idea of starting an organization, a coalition called We Charge Genocide. Uh, we Charge Genocide is actually a borrowed title. I'm a group of black activists in the 50s tried to take a, a petition and a report about police violence against black people. This is in the 1950s. Tried to bring it to the UN to uh, take it past the national body to an international law body. Um, they didn't actually make it there. The CIA, someone, FBI, stole the copies of their reports before they could make it to Geneva, which is crazy. Like wow. physically, like, took the paper? Yeah, like outside of their suitcases at the airport. Wow. So we had the opportunity to continue this legacy. Me and eight, seven other young people, so eight of us, flew out to Geneva, Switzerland, for the Convention Against Torture, brought my homie Demo's story, and a report laced with uh, stories of young people that have been murdered, killed, harassed, sexually abused by the police, presented it to the UN out there, um, and had pretty good results, I would say. What was um, what were some of the surprises from that travel, from that trip? Like, what moments that stick out in your mind as, you know, staying with you or more meaning, you know, just surprisingly meaningful? Because y'all turned up on them before y'all got out of there, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> we had we had to do it, man. Fer Ferguson taught us well. Um, yeah. So one powerful moment was sitting next to Mike Brown's parents as they shared their stories about their son. Um, in Geneva. In Geneva. Wow. Yeah. And then um, another moment, we staged two protests, actually. Um, the state there was super hypocritical and super trying to, like, push our stories to the side. So one time when they were trying to respond to us about our police crimes group, when we presented to them, we walked out on them talking to us. We stood up and walked out, which I don't think has ever been done before at the U.N. And then another time when they were um, talking to the U.N. about their use of tasers, about the... Department of Justice stance on tasers. And my homie was killed by a taser, and we knew that was the moment. We all stood up, and we held our fists in the air for 30 minutes in solidarity for Rakia Boyd, who was a young woman killed in Chicago who laid by a police officer who laid on the ground for 30 minutes after she was shot. So we kept our fists up for 30 minutes. We were joined by people from all over the U.N. and staged a silent protest and stood there with our fists in the air. And that was the most powerful moment for me about that. So, Dame, you mentioned this, like, the beauty of being able to connect it to, to how worldwide state violence is enacted. I'm thinking about growing up where you did up north, where, uh, like, what diversity means is way more than just white-black. Like, you have folks from all over the world. Um, how, does, how do you think that factors into your understanding of the connection between, like, what's happening here and what's happening around the world? Do you think, like, being around, you know, the... Pakistani communities up there and the Indian communities and the uh, Central American community, like how does that factor into your understanding of that? Because it doesn't happen in that many spaces in this city. Mm -hmm. Man, I think one thing my traveling has taught me and growing up in a pretty diverse area has taught me is that like anti-blackness is worldwide. Like the scale of white supremacy to like anti-blackness is a spectrum everyone falls on on this planet and that everyone either benefits from or is hurt by. So I think in a community where blackness is still criminalized, um, sometimes it's a, people would more likely align with the whiteness for privilege and, and really disconnect with the black community. And that's something I've noticed. In Geneva, we experience anti-blackness. I've gone to Cambodia where we experience anti-blackness. Um, and in my neighborhood of on Devon, I've experienced anti-blackness in the stores and businesses and things like that out there. Yeah, folks come in and are willing to make that compromise, basically, to 
enact that in order to be able to live their lives. Mm-hmm. Where, where, so we, we, we're almost running down through the hour. So it's time to kind of switch it up a little bit. Uh, so this is our, like our fan favorite weekly segment. Uh, <laughs> and by fan, I guess, I mean, me, it's my favorite thing to do, <laughs> but we're going to put you on the spot a little bit. Uh, we're going to play a little game. It's called, uh, let me school you youngin. Right. Okay. <laughs> All right. So it works one or two ways. Either you can be the one that schools the youngins listening wherever they are, or you could be the youngin that gets schooled. So what we do is we play an old school joint that like is not Al Green love and happiness. Like I'm, I'm making a rule that I'm not going to play like the, the most common like black cookout song and like see if you know who it was and what the name of the song is. And if you win, you don't get nothing, but you could be uh, someone who is who is hip and you're schooling the youngest. So we about to play the joint right now. This one is from 1973, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so keep your ears open at home. Tweet us uh, at Ergo Radio if you know what it is. Uh, and let's get into it. Let me school you, youngin. We back and it looks like you're struggling a little bit. Kiss you, you want to give him a clue? You want to help him out? All right. One of the most famous bass players of all time. Also, one of the most famous top hat wearing bass players of all time. Top hat wearing. Man, that's a, actually a really big clue, man. <laughs> yeah, there aren't that many. <laughs> that's not like a huge category. <laughs> top hat wearing bass players from the 70s. <laughs> See, I'm not that school, bro. Oh, no. Nah. I feel like a youngin', but I don't know. I'm at a loss. All right, man. Man, let us down, but it's all good. It's Bootsy Collins. 
I'd rather be with you, 1973. He was also, he got to start playing for James Brown. Right, is... and Parliament, of course, all that. I met, I was just saying that I met him. He, uh, I was working at WNYC in New York as an intern, and he came in and did an interview. And even though it was radio, he came in in the full getup. He had the hat, the, the star-shaped glasses, the sparkles, the whole thing. The same way Ethos is dressed right now. <laughs> you didn't know who he was, but but you you came in dressed like his son. But uh, we did you a disservice on your intro because you are more than just like a politically uh, charged individual. You are also a, a great artist, and and those two paths have intersected a lot. That's what I've appreciated about you seeing you know your pieces at different protests or even events that we we have done with Let Us Breathe. Um, and even though you didn't know this song, you know what I'm saying? You, you've been, you've been a, a poet for a while. And you also are uh, the lead vocalist of a new band. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. When did you first start writing and performing? Um, yeah, I think actually around the time I became politically active, just thinking about my place in the world and what that meant and uh, how I could change the world around me, manifest the world I want to see. I was about 16, joined a lot of a bomb team. Uh, who was coached by Brother Mike, rest in peace. R.I.P. Yeah, one of the, like... So you were coming through U-Media on that? Yeah, I was. It was on the U-Media team? Shout out U-Media, shout out YCA, shout out Louder Than a Bomb. Beautiful space. So you start writing there. Where does music come into it? Has it always been there? Was music being made or played in your family? What, yeah. what was around you? Yeah, actually, so my, my mom's musician teaches music classes for young folks mostly. Uh, my brother and sister are both musicians. When I really got into it, I was, I'm a hip-hop dude, like, to my core. So, like, freestyling, playing the beats, having people run beats for me. Um, always and, done that. And, <clears throat> excuse me, the connection with Circles and Cyphers there, too, using that as, you know, a tool and a medium to get people opening up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, my homie Damon said, actually, on our trip to Ferguson, like, hip-hop is an act that centers the most marginalized uh, in the artwork. And I think that's a powerful tool for liberation. Ah oh, man, I didn't know you was listening to me. Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's dope. Yeah, yeah, that's what's up. So tell us a little bit about the band, man. We get we getting tweets. A lot of people are excited. Uh, uh, what's going on with our neighbors? Words. So it's a thy neighbors situation. It's, uh, <laughs> it's actually me and uh, four of my four other of my homies who have created a mix of we call it ethereal hip hop, punk, alternative soul, all of that rolled into one. Um, yeah, we're a new band in Chicago doing shows. You could catch us on Twitter, Facebook, Thy Neighbors. That's mad interesting, though. I mean, and you'll you'll we'll, we'll play a song, the first single, Black and Mild, but you know it's not in the like traditional sense, explicitly hip hop. And you're talking about growing up as a hip hop head, like uh, why bring, is that? Just the other elements that other folks in the band are bringing, but like, how do you connect the dots between all those? I hate to say genres, but like all those influences that you're bringing into this song and we'll, we'll play it and you'll be able to hear. Yeah. I think with, with more of our stuff comes out, you'll get more of the hip hop vibe to it. But like we came from places all over the city, different mind states, different uh, like growing up. And that has all influenced like what our sound is right now, but also just like the punk and alternative scene in Chicago has always been lit and it's kind of like fell by the wayside. I think it's like also an important part. It's, and it's new. It's a turn up and a sound, a flavor you might not have experienced before. So I want to know about two moments. Uh, and I don't know which order they came in. So when was the moment where it was like, okay, we all do these things. We have guitars and drums and voices. 
when we could put that together, that's one thing. When was the moment was like, all right, we're going to officially be a band and, mm-hmm. and book studio time and perform for people. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the name Thy Neighbors, how did that come about? And, and what is there any significance but besides the obvious to that? That's a three-part question for those of you keeping three? score at home. Oh, yeah. My bad. I only meant to do two. The moment y'all became a band and then the name. Word. <laughs> yeah, so the creative community in Chicago is so beautiful right now. People talk about the Chicago renaissance that's going on. So people are constantly creating moving together and like making stuff so i was making stuff with these guys just artwork writing with them but we did a show actually at reggie's uh last year february and they did my band and i did some vocals for them Where? and then we just decided at that point like might as well come together put this project together we're working on that right now break the loop well let's hear the first track from it here's black and mild here on whpk ergoradio.com thy neighbors Thy Neighbors with Black and Mild here on Ergo Radio WHPK 88.5, podcasted ergoradio.com. We have one of the members, Ethos, here. And, you know, you mentioned the, the hip-hop influence and then the, the punk influence as well as being an important thing coming out of the city. Um, where have you seen, maybe I'm just not hip to it, but, like, where has there been overlap between the two before? Because it seems like, at least in New York, which is where I'm from, like, Hip-hop and punk were developing at the exact same time, about 15 miles from each other, different folks in different parts of the city. And eventually there was like a little overlap, but how about here? Yeah, I think, I think here, like the DIY scene is super big, Uh, house shows, band shows are like very much popping. And also like the hip-hop shows are super big. Like you could go out the city, check out a hip-hop show pretty much every other day. 
So I think those circles, like through the high schools and things like that, have always been connected. But I think we really are like, we're on a new stream, putting the two together officially in a band and trying to like market it like that. I don't think that's really been done before, at least in a while in Chicago. Where, so I didn't get my second answer before we went to the song. What's up with the name uh, and, and where that came from? Man, basically, we're a Christian rock band. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's like love thy neighbors. Uh, we all like are political in the band and we're trying to create a movement. We're trying to create the, the neighborhood for people to come through and understand that for us to, for, to see a real revolution, which is what we want, we have to come together. We are neighbors, love thy neighbor, protect thy neighbor, all of that. Cool. And uh, at least you might get the like Christian rock outfits. <laughs> they, they're like, they're, uh, they're, they're like slick. The gelled hair game is on point. Oh yeah. So if you need, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's always a good look. Y'all don't mean to, to, to go back too much or switch it up. But remember, if I said the crazy Christian lady that was talking to us, oh, and she was like, oh compare police brutality to like so abortion. abortion. Oh <laughs> yeah, it, it was wild. We don't even gotta go into yeah, it. Bro. Christians, man, check your politics. <laughs> God is a black woman. <laughs> she accepted that, or she she was interested. She, she was about that. Down with that. Okay. <laughs> but besides that, she was really tripping on us. <laughs> so before we get out of here, and it's almost that time, um, you have a. I know, in addition to the music, like you said, you're a poet. You have a piece that you wanna share with the people. Yeah, yeah. This piece called "Snapshot Treasures." Uh, it's kind of about this idea of a mind state which I'm bringing up again, but like a mind state, he's like, our minds are colonized as well as our land and our bodies are colonized. So how these are kind of created and how we, how we cope with that. Where this is called um, Snapshot Treasures. We've got piles of paper and stories to tell. Let me start this again. Let me run this back. Skirt. DJ, spin that. What you say? <laughs> you need a sec? We got piles of paper and stories to tell. We've got piles of clothing that smell. We're trapped beneath all these snapshot treasures. Things that only keep their allure long enough for you to find space for them amongst the other junk. We can fit all of our prized possessions in a single car trunk, cause close the only constant. When infinity is far, everything distant begins to pale like dust in the air being covered by shadow when compared to the glow of the ever-present now. So close moments gain importance while the past fades to loops, loops fade past while important moments present, making close possessions effervescent and past obsessions slowly drop and fade into the muck. We make love a lot to feel better, but what's gained is never enough because the pain is always racked, pain is always a factor and the earth is always rough and the gentle human touch is needed to balance the cuts from corporate factories for fears a factor too 
We scared to hear a fact or two. We'd rather hear a sack or two of loud clamor into our lungs to sleep at night. We hammer our bodies with speed and sprite, with lean inside to see a sight of peace of mind. We need a guide, one that's not afraid of following. You know who holds the light, but be humble pie swallowing, humble Rogers Park fathers and little village grannies holding torches, showing us our past, teaching us crawling comes before standing. We need a landing strip for all us brown kids that ate two eighths of shrooms or tripped on a strip of acid and realized we're afloat on a parade with us as the glowing mascots forced to dance this dance of madness. But this parade ain't really a parade at all. It looks more like a funeral procession and us glowing brown kids is seen as possessions gobbled up by moment junkies. Heads, hearts, and mouths full of memories. This predatory parade, an example to us all on how they want us to behave. We need to be saved. Nah, nah, we need to save ourselves. My people, we're slaves. We fight, we smell, we sell, we scream and yell. We've grazed the very gates of hell, but remained unscathed these caves of illusion will continue to swell, but you can tell the blaze cannot be contained much longer. This wave is real. We only need ourselves. This wave is real. Yo, that was dope, G. Much love. Thank you. Yeah, man. Yeah, thank What'd you say the title of that piece was? It's called Snapshot Treasures. Where, so before we get out of here, where can people find you? Any upcoming things you need to plug? You know, any new music, any events, any you know, protest, anything that the world should know about coming up? Yeah, so it's Black August Shy. We're doing Say Her Name, which is a movement that is trying to center black women and black violence against women by the state. So we have an action August 20th at Black Youth Project, an organization I'm part of is holding at the CPD headquarters at 35th in Michigan. I think that's the 21st. No, it's the 20th. Oh, my bad. Definitely the 20th. August 20th, come out for the Say Her Name event. And you could catch all that in my music and my poetry on my Twitter uh, and Instagram, ethos, then three eyes, I, 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 ethos, three eyes. You can also catch thy neighbors. Uh, yeah, but just stay in tune. Much love. Appreciate y'all having me. No, man, thank you for coming up. Dame, you got anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Uh, no, I was going to mention the, the, the Say Your Name event as well, but I was going to mess up because I was going to tell people <laughs> the, the 21st, but everything else is pretty cool. Let's just make it a two-day event. Just a, a two, Yeah, yeah, a two we day. go back out there, turn up on Friday as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to Ergo. Catch all of our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just look up Ergo uh, or on SoundCloud. It's Ergo Radio. We'll be back next week with another strong young voice who's reshaping the culture of our city. Ethos, thank you so much for being here. And uh, take care of yourselves. Stay safe out there. And we'll see you in a week.